Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the National Treasures podcast, the beautiful, unique Sexy, nice, lovely podcast where two comedians who are called Laura Lex and Will Duggan. Me, that's me. That's Will Duggan, him, and I'm Laura Lex. We go on beautiful days out together. Then we talk to our lovely friends that send us on those days out. And then we get deep and meaningful about some things that we discovered on the days out. This is the last of our October month, which is the month where we went to Woolerton Hall on the orders of Colin Holt, award-winning comedian Colin Holt, and we had a lovely time, and then we talked to him, and then we learned about orangeries, orange-orange, and now we're going to learn about taxidermy. We're going to learn about taxidermy. How are you, Double Dugs? I'm all right. I'm a little under the weather. I, um... Well, the weather's disgusting. Yeah, do you know, so it's too hot, but we won't get into that because I know how you are with the climate. Mm. Um, it's too hot, so that, but it's also winter, so I'm too hot to wear a coat, but need to wear a coat. Also, the flies that should be dead are not dead, and I think every single fly in Brighton and Hove is hanging out <laughs> in my house. <laughs> I hate that. We get that a lot in the summer because we live like quite in the countryside. And so it, it makes it look like you live in an absolute dung heap because we get these, like, you get six flies or whatever that just get stuck in a loop around the light fitting in the centre of the living room. And you're like, I promise you, our house isn't disgusting. Oh, no. Ours is worse than that. So you know how, like, so I live, for those that don't know, in an old, like, Georgian house that is now four flats. There's two flats on the ground floor one upstairs and then one on the second floor. I live on the second floor. One of the communal stairs... I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. That's a really sad song about domestic violence. Yeah. My name is... What's her name then? Luca. Luca, not Lola, because she was a showgirl. And also, She was, yeah. Uh, also... Hello, LA, Lola. Different song, but still Lola. <laughs> um, anyway... There's like about a hundred flies in the thing to the point where Becca and I were genuinely worried that one of our, not housemates, because we don't live with them, but one of the occupants of the other flats was dead. <laughs> so we were like, right. But the thing is, there's two guys downstairs you don't see very often. And then there's a woman you don't see very often, but we check them off. They're all alive. But the other flat, flat three on the first floor, that's an Airbnb. So 
it Ooh. could be empty. But then, anyway, we've seen occupants, so no one's dead. There's just flies everywhere. Or someone's dead and they don't mind. Sure, yeah. Okay, none of the people that live here are dead. <laughs> but we haven't yet written off the fact that none of the people that live here have got a, a dead body in their home. Segway, Will, they could have killed someone to taxidermy them. It's a huge swing and I don't mind uh-huh. it at all. So this week, Will, you're going to be telling me about taxidermy. I'm excited. Don't know much about it. Yeah, Maybe we I'm... we should try and do a course. Do you know you can? Um, you can, but I'm not sure how I'd feel about it because, you know, in the same way that I, I get a bit squeamish when you bite... You know, you're, you're a vegetarian, but... When yeah. you're dealing with meat and you're like, oh, God, you were alive. But I get that because I like to eat meat, so you should be able to do it. But when you're just fucking about with a corpse. <laughs> um, but we'll certainly put a pin in it. Eh? Mm. Sorry, I was just eating a segment of chocolate orange. You were just eating It'd a be se- quite fun to be a vegetarian that does have dead animal hobbies. Like, I don't want to eat them. <laughs> And I don't mind fucking about it. Lo- <laughs> I wouldn't eat, but I love to hunt. <laughs> Look, that's even that is yours. just the word. That's like everything I'm against. Like I'd love to, I have no problem with eating meat, and I think people can make their own minds up. I don't want to eat a thing that's been alive. I don't want something to die for me. But you know, that that's my line. But it it would tickle me. It would be quite funny, the idea. <laughs> I'm a vegan, but I solely wear leather. And only if the corpse was thrown away other than the leather I was going to wear. Come round my house, I'll make you a nice herb and tofu scramble, grill you up some mushroom, and then let's go badger baiting. (laughs) A delicious irony. Um, Yeah. I assume taxidermy has tailed off a lot in modern times then, now that we don't really decorate our houses with stuff like that and people are a little bit more conscious of why and how we kill animals. So taxidermy as a thing has tailed off certainly in that uh, sphere. In the Victorian times, so you, you have unwittingly stumbled into my first little point here. Oh, it's like we're co-hosts of a TV show, isn't it? Let me... Oh, God, imagine if we were. Um, Let me just pause you Who would it be for, though, Will? Who's it for? I'll tell you who it's for. You want wholesome, but with a grumpy, nihilistic edge. That's our problem. We've made a wholesome podcast for sad people. (laughs) But isn't that most people? Like, most people are sad, but they're nice people. I've, I've, I don't know. When I look at the stuff that's popular, I think I think most people might be horrible. I bumped into a few uh, of our patrons out in the wild. <gasps> what? Yeah, there was one at my gig uh, in Oxford last weekend. Um, there was one at my gig with Colin Holt, actually, on Sunday Aww. in Berkshire. Yes, I had a terrible time. No, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but it was nice to know that... Oh, it, it was... <laughs> Anyway, so taxidermy, Laura, is... Yes, Will. Taxidermy is like the word fish. Now, bear with me, because it... (gasps) Fish refers to both the animal and the verb when you catch fish. You would go to fish. Ah, I see. 
So taxi. So you don't taxiderm. No, taxidermy is the process of preserving, and that's where taxidermy differentiates from other things um, in the history of taxidermy. For example, they have found preserved um, and embalmed animals in Egyptian tombs, but they don't. Okay. They don't count those as uh, taxidermy. Okay. Okay. So, because it's a specific way of preserving. No, not really. So, firstly, it has to be done um, in a lifelike way. Got ya. The product has to be looking lifelike. So, there is contention in the taxidermy world as to whether the mounted heads, yeah, that hunters yeah. would have, are they taxidermy? Because yeah, um, the heads look lifelike but of course there is no bodies let's talk about the word taxidermy laura it's the most serial killer word in the world so hang on so dermy is that like skin that is exactly skin skin yep dermis taxi i know taxonomy is a thing isn't it It, yeah it is do you know what if you could remember what taxonomy was (sighs) you'd get it yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I've heard the word. I don't know what it means. Uh, taxonomy is arranging things specifically. So right. Taxi basically means arrangement. So taxidermy ah. is the arrangement of skin. <laughs> so the arrangement of skin. Now you said Laura earlier. <laughs> the arrangement of skin. Very very simply, Laura. I'm just going to say <laughs> the arrangement of skin, and that's going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. So, the ancient Egyptians used to embalm animals, and it has been done in one way or the other throughout all of history. Um, In the Middle Ages, there were some very crude uh, taxidermy done by, like, astrologers and apothecaries, and all of the funny taxiderms that you will see. You know, it's like a lion with a massive, like, tumorous lump on its face. (laughs) It's because you would bring back the gutted... So it, nothing of it is the actual animal other than the skin. It's okay. all done with wire and padding, so it would have been sawdust originally. Now, obviously, if you're in, let's say, I don't know, Kenya, and you kill a lion and you want to bring it back to London to stuff, it's a lot easier to bring the lion back to London than take all the taxidermy stuff to Kenya. But yeah. equally, the lion is going to start to rot. Yeah. So they would basically kill it. Take its skin off, so you'd get just a carpet would turn up in some nutters-like thing, and he'd go, right, how does this animal look? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it started getting good in the mid-18th century, okay? So that's the 1700s. Yeah, so like the... Oh, that's quite early then, isn't it? Yeah, so like 1752... was when a guy called M.B. Stolas wrote a book about the right way to mount and how to, to check this out, did you know that, obviously everyone's faces are different, but... What? The, yeah, huge. But, like, the <sighs> thickness from, like, the end of your skull to the top of your head is, like, like two and a half millimetres, let's say... But it's the same on every skull. So, when you get a skull of, of, of a human, you if you know the difference 
in all the heights all over, you can recreate the face. That's what facial reconstruction is. Mm. So this guy, M.B. Stolas, was like, there are all these clues. So if you get an animal that you don't recognise or know about or have ever seen living, if you follow these rules, you'll be a lot closer to the actuality than these stupid, massive-mouthed herons. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's sort of saying, like, if the skeleton is like A... You won't go too far wrong to assuming it's going to be six millimeters here, twelve millimeters here. If exactly. it's skeleton B, follow this rough guideline, yeah. like a sewing pattern kind of a thing yeah. for how much flesh they'd have. Like, was this bit of skin taut or loose? Well, we can tell from these different, uh, yeah, sort of rules because, of course, you know, is oh, it? That's a really good point. You don't, yeah. If you don't know, you just have these massively overstuffed things. But in, in the same way that, like, is it horses and hippopotamus are, like, so closely related evolutionarily? Like, I'm pretty sure that hippopotamus means something like horse of the water. Yeah, something like that, isn't it? Yeah. So, obviously, a horse and hippopotamus are very different, but if you were to stuff them with the same rules the final product would be a horse and a hippopotamus rather than two rhinos. Do you know what I mean? I thought I did, and then I, I must have phased out for a slight second because you'd got two rhinos out of one horse skin and I got confused. No, what I'm saying is... <laughs> This MB Stolas was like, follow these rules. So if I give you an empty hippopotamus skin and an empty horse skin, if you follow the rules, because they are structurally, skeletally quite similar, the finished product, the one that was a hippo will look like a hippo and the one that was a horse will look like a horse. But if you ignore it and just go mad on both of them, You'd end up with two things that looked a bit like a rhino, which I are you, thought. Are you craving now for a bit of Great British Taxiderm off? No, I want to because... just see like ten hapless members of the public given like an empty sloth go. <laughs> so... I think even having seen a sloth in a documentary, mine would still look fucked up. Let alone living across an ocean and just guessing. Kiri Pritchard McLean used to. Uh, have some taxidermy and she showed me a um a documentary years like a, like a reality show that was like the great american taxiderm but it was so american so it was like you know mm. you'd get the word would be eagle and it'd be like an eagle with two guns on a banner like oh, no. screeching it. it was so <laughs> did you have taxidermy so- at your school my primary school they'd like hire different taxidermy things every year to go with whatever topic you were doing. I no, though my um my year six teacher, Mr. Grantham, had a taxidermied caiman uh in his garage. Oh. Yeah, we all saw it when we went to his house. Why did you all go to his house? Because he had an Anderson shelter, a World War Two air raid shelter in his garden. And This guy we... has given off I'm I'm sure he's a nice man, but it's screaming vibes, isn't it? And when you studied, uh, like, evacuees in World War Two, you had to, like, write a little play set in an air raid shelter, and he filmed them all for you. 
He also had in his garden, um, you know, those like when you go to... don't want to slur a person I've never met. <laughs> He's a really nice guy. It's part of the curriculum. You have to come to my house and sit in my Anderson shelter while I film you doing a play that you've written. Yeah, and I did, say right. to, I did say to him, sir, do I need my trousers off? And he went, just go with it. <laughs> uh, that's not true. No, he's a really nice man. Yeah, we um, liked him. I've never met him. But he also had, um, you know, when you go to a pub, like like a family pub, and they've got like a fiberglass tree that's got like a bit of climbing thing and a slide. Oh yeah, 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 like a slide coming out, maybe some eyes on the trunk of the yeah, tree. Yeah, he had one of those in his garden. <laughs> As fate. <laughs> no, and he had two children. Yeah, where would he get them? <laughs> They were his, his balls. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're his now. <laughs> uh, I'm really sorry to this man. I'm sure you're very nice. I'm sorry I'm being He was really genuinely, deep. really, he was really, like, we were all quite scared of him at school because he was, like, known mm-hmm. as the strict one. And then in year six, he was, like, you, could, you know, you find out, like, what school are you going to, what class you're going to go into. Yeah. We went, we went into his class, me and the rest of the guys. And on day one, he was like, listen, you're going to secondary school next year. You can't be treated like kids. And something that I think is something every adult's right is if you need the toilet, you just go. You don't ask yeah. permission. You just stand up and you go as long as you don't take advantage of it. I don't care if I'm teaching, if the head teacher's in here, if the Queen of England comes for a visit. If you need, <laughs> you can just go. And in our defence, no, no one really uh, took advantage because he'd given us that respect. Ah, and now you are the man you are today. I do like him a lot. Me too. He so, is now my top, in my top three teachers that I've talked about today. Who have you talked about today? Just him. Could I be in the top one of today then, thus far? Uh, I suppose in the thus far list, yeah, he can be number one, but I can't give yeah. him the number one box. What if we chat about an absolute belter? What if we talk about Miss Honey in a minute and then I'm like, I've already given spot number one to this chump. Mr. Grantham, great guy. So, around the time of this book by M.B. Stolas in 1752 was when really good quality taxidermy started to appear. Mainly it's in a Fran- lovely stuffed duck. But mainly in France, Germany, Denmark and England. Now, they originally used stuffing and clay on the inside to pad out and make it hard but it made them too heavy it made them too heavy and then by the 1800s the 19th century lots of towns had their own tannery businesses okay Mm -hmm. for making leather you have to put piss on it for tanning didn't you yeah, you do. But what would happen is hunters would bring their... Because before this, they would just basically, like, show off the animal till it rotted and get rid. But then they would take them to an upholsterer and who would stuff them with rags and cotton and sew them up. And this is where the term stuffing an animal comes from, OK? Yes? What do you mean the term stuffing an animal? That's not a term. Well, it's a, here it is. It's a stuffed. Oh well, it's it, it's a stuffed polar bear. You know oh, what I mean? like, got yeah. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't think about, like, that's the bit stuffing. that would. No, no, it, it, it wasn't sage and onion. It was cotton and rags. 
Yeah, but then you said that's where the term stuffing, and then then I sort of drifted off thinking, what do you mean? Like, was that when they got the idea for putting other food inside of an animal? And then I thought, no, that's been going on since medieval times and before. And then I thought, is that a phrase then? Oh, we're stuffing the animal today. It was so cold. And then then there was the silence, and then you asked me, and now we're caught up. There are a couple of bits (laughs) during this episode where I think I'm going to lose you. I didn't yeah. think stuffed animals would be one of them. Oh, yeah, like a stuffed animal, like a teddy bear. Stuffing, okay. No, not like a fucking teddy bear. What kind of? Like taxidermy. It's a yeah. stuffed otter. Yeah, and kind of like a stuffed teddy bear. Sure, but taxidermy... It's full of stuffing. But the thing is, what I'm saying is, taxidermy, most of it, isn't actually stuffed. Oh my god, <sighs> yeah, what? But we call it that as a hangover from when hunters used to go to upholsterers and they would stuff the cottons and rags in. I thought this would be a three-sentence bit. Well, well, they are stuffed, though. They're full, aren't they? No, a lot of the time, no. They're, it's like, well, they're full of wire. Wire? What happened there? I said wire and I'm... I just said wire. No, wire? But you're not... Sorry, they are full of wire. No, there's a halfway point, isn't there, between wire and wire. Why have I got to have your accent? Because mine's quite flat and normal. And mine's nice. Because it's West Country, which, of course, evokes feelings of thickness. (laughs) That should be the name of your first album. What, feelings of thickness? Yeah, and then there's just you in a polar neck with your little vape cloud around you on the cover. <laughs> feelings of thickness. Grab a glass of wine and listen to my feelings. So, because most professional taxidermists <laughs> prefer the phrase mounting to stuffing. Yeah, they do. Because right, it's I'm done cowboy. on, like, wires. Anyway... <laughs> We're nearly to sort of like the golden age of it now, so calm down. We're about halfway through. It's going reasonably well. I can't believe that when I talked about stuffed animals, I lost you, and then you started singing and then said, wire. Anyway, in France, a guy called Louis Dufresne, who was a taxidermist at the Andy natural... Dufresne. At the, I, knew you'd, I knew you were going to do that. I genuinely was so close and not telling you his name, I thought... <laughs> She'll have it. I'll say the name Louis Dufresne, and Laura. A couple of seconds you later, busted out just, a taxidermy prison. <laughs> Laurie, Laura will just say the name Andy Dufresne, and then I thought, no, will have some faith in your co-host. And I now said I'm it. picturing right Louis Dufresne. He's like he's a stuffed animal himself, and and then he's like shaking out all the stuff he's been stuffed with out his pockets as he walks around the yard every day, just bits of fluff and wire falling out. Well, je suis Louis Dufresne. Uh, je suis no longer want to be in a captivity. Wow. I wish he had done that, Laura, because what in fact he did was he got arsenic soap Uh-oh. and you, which is very malleable, and used that to do great taxidermy, uh, which gave the museum the biggest collection of birds in the world. Uh, this method spread to England, and after a while, people were like, a lot of guys are dying. <laughs> Oh, no. So in England, in the early 19th century, they did exactly the same, but with just non-toxic stuff. And loads of big guys um, started 
doing taxidermy, but the specimens were still not great. They didn't look lifelike. Has so anyone then, ever taxidermied a human? Uh, probably. But it's not recorded. Yeah. But then we meet John Hancock. John Hancock. Not his real name, surely. The one from the film. Will Smith. Not the one from, not the, one from the film. Also, I love not that the... Film. Really? Yeah. It's really weird. And it's nice and orange. I love a film that's mostly orange. Okay. Well, uh, so John Hancock, of course, in the film, <laughs> is named after the founding father of America, John Hancock. Yeah, put your John Hancock here. Because he signed the Declaration of Independence with a massive signature, didn't he, old John Hancock? Yeah. It's not that guy. It's okay? a diff. It's neither Will Smith nor the guy that signed the Declaration of Independence. It's a new John Hancock. So he was a big into bird watching. Now, bird watching in this day and age, Laura, the 21st century. Just like Vic Reeves. Yeah, see, but I don't think Vic Reeves and John Hancock would get on. Because oh. I think Vic Reeves will take his little book and his sandwiches and his thermos and his binoculars and, and he'll see... And his wife. And he'll see a lesser spotted grebe and he'll say, wow, a lesser, lesser spotted grebe. He likes Where, to draw them. Yeah, well, John Hancock um, would see it, record it and then shoot it. That's hunting, then. It's not bird watching. But in the same way that, if you remember, the Booth Museum... Booth, Booth, the Cadbury's Booth. Are you all right? <laughs> you yeah. and I have four hours of recording to do today. <laughs> you know that I don't feel very well. You have been to the doctors for an ongoing complaint... So we kind of have to, not that we won't enjoy every single second of today's work, but we will have to sort of, by our four, dig our heels in and be like, this has been a long day. And you think that 35 minutes into hour one, I talk about a man called Booth, and you think you can sing the... Booth, Booth, the Cadbury's Booth. You think that's okay. You think that's good behaviour. I think it's fun behaviour. I'm tired of being a good girl. I want to be fun. Also, I've got a Capri Sun and a chocolate orange. A Capri Sun? Capri. A Capri Sun, like a Ford Capri. Yeah, what's Capri? Capri Sun. It's a Capri Sun. You don't say Capri for anything else. It's Capri Pants, a Ford Capri, Capri Sun. Capri Sun. That's ridiculous. Have I ever told you my weird story about Capri Suns? Um, is it that you call them Capri Suns? Okay, I'll, I'll call them Capri Suns for this just story, just to keep yeah. you on side. But uh, listeners, do let us know at Treasures Pod whether you say <laughs> Capri Sun or Capri Sun. Anyway, it was about 2012, and I was considering buying a very cheap house. Um, <laughs> it was 2005. But there was... Um, Houses back then cost only 50 pence. What, there was an estate... About the same amount as a Capri's booth. There was an estate near where I lived that sold houses that needed a lot of work done for about £50,000. Wowzers, trousers. And I thought, these aren't great houses, but if I can but get But if I could one, own 49,999 more pounds, I could afford one. Pretty much. So, <laughs> I booked a meeting with a mortgage advisor in Manchester, where I lived at the time, 
uh, and told him my plans. And during our conversation, we were over a desk in a NatWest, the one just off um, Market Street in Manchester, for anyone that knows the area. I think it's shut now anyway. Uh, I was in his office and he... without You're breaking... allowed to do that tangent, but I'm not allowed to sing a little song about a Cadbury's booth. Listen to this. You're going to... Fuck you're gonna, me. You're going to shit yourself. Your interest in tediosity is, is matched by my interest in singing. We were talking about the likelihood of him and Nat West lending me the money to buy this house. And without breaking eye contact... Look at me, Laura, through the Zoom. Without breaking eye contact, he just leant down into a little drawer, <laughs> came up with a Capri Sun, did the little straw, bombed it, and then just drank it all in like a one. I was like, <laughs> I don't trust this man to give me anything. So concluded, concluded you... it and didn't uh, go forward with it. I would have immediately bought four houses and taken a pregnancy test. That is a power move, the like of which hasn't been seen since Alexander the Great. Unbelievable. So anyway... John Hancock, the ornithologist. Which one? The ornithologist. I actually know a Robin Robbie Williams song. I'm an honorary Sean Connery born. Born seventy four. There's only one of me. But single handedly raising the Grab your binoculars. Come follow me. Come follow me. Anyway, (laughs) he shoots the birds, and he's like. Taxidermy's rubbish. It doesn't look like the magnificent creatures are flying. So, like in the Booth Museum, when he would... You know, all of the ones in there, they look, they're living. They're like tableaus yeah. of time. He started doing that using clay and plaster. And at the Great Exhibition in 1851 in London... In the Crystal Palace. In the Crystal Palace. <gasps> he mounted loads of them. And people were like, this is amazing. And one of the judges at the Great Exhibition said of Hancock's exhibit, this will go far towards raising the art of taxidermy to a level with which the other arts have hitherto held higher pretensions. And who was one of the massive, massive fans of John Hancock's taxidermy? Booth. Queen Victoria. Vicky! So she started... She just smashed a Capri Sun. Capri Sun. She started collecting taxidermy birds, which then, of course, if the Queen's doing it, all of the hoity-toiters want to join in. And then... Have you seen the Queen's tits? Yes, one wants to get one's own pair for the orangerie. Now that was a beautiful introduction. A funny joke, a funny voice, a little bit of smut. It was so much better than just singing the Cadbury's Booth jingle at me. (laughs) You've got to have a bit of both, Will. I don't think you do, Double LX. Well, then do a fucking podcast with someone else, mate. No one wants to just listen to you rattle on uninterrupted about taxidermy for 45 minutes. I will say, I think the people that are going to listen to this podcast that we have advertised as being Will Tells Laura All About Taxidermy (laughs) would quite like to hear me talk a bit about taxidermy. We can do a deep dive in a few weeks. Jingles from the 1990s. Hey, that would be a fun podcast to do, wouldn't it? Like, we do one episode and then we give the votes on the deep dives. We do the deep dives and then we ask for another vote on what we went off tangent and talked about on the deep dive. See where we get to. We're, we're quite busy people. Yeah. That's the red car and the blue car the had a race. But all Red wanted to do was stuff his face. 
Um, what anyway. is the next line there? Because we always used to sing, he eats everything he sees from trucks to tetley trees, but smart old Bluey took the Milky Way. But I have no idea what the lyrics are meant to actually be. Sh- shall I tell you? Yes, please. Um, let's have a look. The red car and the blue car had a race. All the red car could do was stuff his face. He eats everything he sees from trucks to prickly trees. But prickly smart old blue, he took the Milky Way. Prickly. Love it. Okay. Yeah. From trucks to prickly trees. Though I reckon that if you were to watch that advert again, because I don't think it was deep with symbolism, I think there would be on the line... Uh, he eats everything he sees, the car would open like a mouth and he would eat a truck and then a prickly tree. I can't remember. I remember it was on. We had a copy of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang at my grandma's house taped off the telly and it was in one of the ad breaks for Illegal. Yeah. I'm a cannonball of legality. (laughs) Right. Anyway, Queen Victoria, she's a, she's got some nice tits. Yeah, so everyone wants to do it. And then people are like, God, these things look so realistic. Not unlike my dog, who's dead now. Oh, no, yeah, OK. And then they start uh, resurrecting their pets, as it were. Well, don't say resurrecting. I think that, that means something else. So... In the late 1800s, so this guy, John Hancock, he'd made realistic uh, taxidermy, something that could happen. Great exhibition, 1851. Queen Victoria loves it. It becomes a big thing. Your hunters have started doing it because the bear that they've killed now looks realistic and snarly. People have got their birds. People like your booths, your upper class people showing off their kills. Then also people who just miss their pets have got them. But like all art, it moves on and on and on until we reach sort of turn of the 19th, 20th century, the anthropomorphic taxidermy. Oh, like putting a monkey in a jacket? Yeah. So the one I've got is two frogs playing pool. Love it. So There's jewellers in the lanes. I don't know if you've ever been past it. That... um, the window display is all decorated with stuffed white mice. They're all yeah, like that carrying sort the wings of around thing. and stuff. Um, well, he had a museum uh, near here in Bramber. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he, um, he had the Potter's Rabbit School, the frogs playing uh, pool. But his most famous one uh, was the death of Cock Robin. Where it's oh, a, yeah. Yeah, a bird getting murdered. Now, I remember a friend of mine had two taxidermy mice that were sword fighting. Aww. Yeah, it, um... And anyway... Tiny little swords. Yeah, so he, this guy, Walter Potter... Like he, Albert. Um, so th- he had it in Bramber. The museum was first moved to Brighton, and then it was then moved to Arundel, and then it was moved to Cornwall in 1984. That's quite a shift. If you've just been in Bramber, Brighton and Arundel, and then suddenly you're in Cornwall, that's a move. And then the collection was sold in 2003, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, Damien Hurst wanted to buy the entire collection of Walter Potter. 
right. for um, a million pounds. But they didn't let him in case they, he put it all in formaldehyde? Well, they didn't let them. They didn't let him. And then the people that owned it was like, you definitely should have let Damien Hurst give us a million pounds <laughs> for these fucking frogs, you madhead. Um, <laughs> what? Do you know why they didn't let him? Because the auctioneers were like, oh, no, we want to auction them individually. It's not fair to, for people. Um but he so uh, that's so weird because often they're like, no, we want to keep the collection together, you know. Yeah, no, mad. Well, Damien Hurst, he likes uh, Walter Potter, and there's a lovely quote by him in the Guardian where he's clearly a bit salty um, about the fact that he couldn't buy them because mm. he clearly likes the guy, but he can't help but slag him out as well. <laughs> so here's the quote: "My own favourites is this tableau. It's a kitten wedding party, and all the kittens are dressed up in costume, wearing jewellery. I mean, they don't look much like kittens, but that's not the point. Uh, and there's a rat drinking party, which sort of like wind in the willows after hours, and some hamsters pl- pl- playing cricket. But you can see that Potter knew very little about anatomy and musculature because a lot of it is just terrible. There's a kingfisher that looks." nothing like a kingfisher like he he wants he loves it but also hates it yeah uh, i so love it you should have let me have it i offered you a million pounds a yeah. million one million you idiots so why laura, don't i own your wonky kingfisher so laura the auction goes forward uh and all of it together raises a little over half a million <laughs> I don't know who I'm cheering um, for. <laughs> um, so the death and burial of Cot Robin was the highest selling item. That went for twenty three and a half thousand, and the kitten's wedding that Damien Hurst was talking can about. Imagine went... having enough money that you can basically buy a taxidermied Cot Robin for about half the cost of a house in Manchester. Well, would you like to know some of the people who were there? Oh, God, the, the, the sort of people that have their own bunkers and aren't worried about climate change at all, and I hate uh, them. Genuinely, I think it's three really cool people. Okay. David Bailey. Uh, who's David Bailey? Artist and, pho- artist and photographer from the 60s. Yeah. Peter Blake. Quentin's dad? No, he's an artist. Uh, he designed the Sergeant Pepper's cover. Oh, the Lonely Hearts Club band. Yeah, and Har- Harry Hill. Harry Hill? Yeah. Now, him I do like. There you go. Um, there you go. So that is kind of taxidermy all the way through um, into the 20th century. I've got a little bit more to talk about, uh, but I'm afraid we're going to sneak it out just for the patrons. Yeah. So thank you so much. If you have been listening and you're like, "Mm -mm -mm, you guys are the sexiest podcasters I know. We've loved having you along, but we are going to jettison you off into the abyss now to hang out with just our patrons. If you want to become a patron, though, and be let through this magical door, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash national treasures and you will uh, see that we have so much content for you. We have longer versions of every single one of these main episodes that we put out. We also have an extra podcast every week called Years and Years, and we also do a live stream once a month that you will be invited to. Um, But hey, look, we love you, and 
We are going to now discuss rogue taxidermists, Will. We go rogue taxidermy. Rogue taxidermy. So, goodbye, regular listeners. Have a lovely week. See you next week. Patrons, hold fast beyond the sting. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.